Did you know that some of the biggest medical breakthroughs occurred between 1796 and 1928? They include vaccinations, germ theory, anesthesia, medical imaging in the form of x-rays, and antibiotics, all of which have probably saved hundreds of thousands of lives since their discoveries. Welcome to the Lore of the South. Welcome back to Lore of the South with me, Kelly Cruz. How's everyone doing? I made it through my first round of testing with nothing report, so that's good news. I find out later this month if the doc will recommend more tests. Basically, I have severe anemia and they're not sure why. So they're putting me through the ringer to make sure I don't have anything more serious going on. Um, I've had my second iron infusion this week and I am feeling so much better. Like, I forgot what it felt like to feel good, y'all. And I am thankful to be feeling better. What else? Let's see. Mike and I will be heading down to Puerto Rico for our anniversary slash my birthday. Um, we're going to be staying in Old San Juan. And looks like from where we're staying, we'll be able to walk everywhere. If any of y'all have been, please send me your recommendations. We're definitely going to do a ghost tour. And I'm planning on giving y'all a couple of episodes from way down south in the Caribbean. Or Caribbean, if you prefer. I already kind of think that we're going to feel it at home there. From my research, it could be called St. Augustine's Sister City. And now, it's time for history-making news. This article comes from IFL Science. Um, Y'all have heard me talk about bog bodies. Well, they have now managed to piece together what Denmark's Tolan Man's last mill was by analyzing the gut contents of mummified parasites found within the mummy itself, along with what they uncovered in his digestional tract. As a refresher, Tolan Man was more than likely a human sacrifice that was thrown into a Danish bog around 2400 years ago, where the high tannin content mummified his body. He was not discovered until the 1950s when pea cutters turned up his remains. So back to his last mill. Apparently it was very typical of an Iron Age mill, fish and a barley porridge, which also contained other seeds like flax and something called pale periscaria. Along with the last mill, his guts were harboring several types of parasites, whipworm, mawworm, and the good old tapeworm. Now on to episode 41. Give me that old time medical terminology. I'm planning on doing a Jamestown series for y'all, but it's going to take some time to put together. And I've run short on time this week. So what gave me the idea for today's topic was genealogy and reading about some of my ancestors' causes of death. That and reading historic texts and novels. Y'all, we used to have some super creative, if not downright insulting names for illnesses. So this episode might not be for everyone. Listener beware. I'm going to be talking about old-timey medical terminology the modern names for illnesses, and I'll also be giving descriptions of said illnesses or disorders. 
So if you get a little queasy when hearing about such things, maybe skip this one. Of course, if tapeworms and bog bodies didn't run you off, you'll probably like this episode. This is something that has always interested me. I can remember coming over our encyclopedias from the 1970s, researching the bubonic plague when I was like 12. And then it was tuberculosis, after becoming obsessed with Doc Holliday after seeing the movie Tombstone as a teen. So this topic is one I have had a long obsession with. Don't know why, but I always have. Could it be genetic memory or reincarnation? Who knows? But let's get started with these wild and not so wonderful maladies. See if you can guess what the disease is by its old name. I'll give you a rundown of the old-timey terminology, then give you all the modern term and a description of the illness. This could get gross. First up, bilious remitting fever, breakbone fever, break heart fever, dandy fever, front street fever. All of these were used in reference to the outbreak of dengue fever in 1780 Philadelphia. The dengue virus is transmitted by the bite of a female mosquito. These same mosquitoes also transmit yellow fever, chikungunya fever, and the Zika virus. Dengue, kind of like COVID, can lie silent in someone's body. You might not even know you have it. Or it can cause flu-like symptoms. Fever, body aches, joint pain, severe headache, sometimes vomiting, Usually it's accompanied by a rash and it has an incubation period of three to 14 days. In more rare cases, a form of severe dengue fever occurs, causing bleeding from your bodily orifices, multiple organ failure, and the leakage of blood plasma. The virus is still prevalent today with 400 million cases worldwide, 100 million of which will become ill from transmitting mosquito bite and some 40,000 will succumb to the virus. Luckily, there are vaccines available for both adults and children. Up next, we have what was known as the American Plague, Bronze John, Dock Fever, Stranger's Fever, or Yellow Jacket. This one y'all can probably fairly easily guess, Oh, Yellow Fever. Yellow fever is also a virus transmitted by mosquitoes. As mentioned before, yellow fever is now known to have had its origins in Africa and was brought to the New World by the inhumane trafficking of the enslaved from sub-Saharan Africa. Yellow fever was considered the most deadly of diseases from the 17th century to the early 20th century. Heck, one of our most famous ghost stories here in Lake City came about because of a yellow fever epidemic. But I'll have to cover that in a later episode. Back to Old Yellow John. It has an incubation period of three to six days. At the onset of sickness, the victim will have a headache, fever, chills, vomiting, and body pain. Then it subsides in a few days. In 16% of those ill from yellow fever, the virus will turn acute. The symptoms will turn extreme. The patient might begin to feel better, only to fall extremely ill. They will turn yellow from liver damage, have severe abdominal pain, bleeding from the mouth, nose, and eyes, and the intestinal tract. They also might vomit blood. 
which may appear black. In fact, the Spanish name for yellow fever was vomito negro, black vomit. In these acute cases, there is a 50% mortality rate. On the bright side, if you survive, you'll have a lifelong immunity. Today, yellow fever is found primarily on the continent of Africa. And like dengue, there are vaccinations available. Number three on our countdown of old-timey disease names, congestive chills, congestive fever, remitting fever, blackwater fever, and lastly, swamp sickness. Today, known as malaria. Malaria is still widespread and deadly across Africa, Southeast Asia, and South America. It is also transmitted by mosquitoes, but it's not a virus like our first two mosquito-borne illnesses. Malaria is caused by a parasite that the mosquito picks up from an infected host, then spreads it by biting another person. Malaria can be spread by blood transfusions, though modern testing should prevent this, shared needles, and can also be passed from mother to child during pregnancy. The malarial parasite, classed as a Plasmodium invade red cells where they reproduce. The offspring of the mama plasmodium cause the blood cells to burst and all the baby plasmodium invade nearby cells and start the life cycle over again. Symptoms of infection are headache, severe chills, high fever, high blood pressure, rapid breathing, stomach, muscle, and joint pain, along with the possibility of vomiting and diarrhea. In severe cases, acute anemia can occur. Issues with blood clotting, liver damage, low blood sugars, and acute respiratory distress. Kidney issues and neurological issues like posturing and the eyes not being able to move in the same direction at the same time. Also, seizures may occur. Symptoms can begin 10 to 15 days after the infected bite. Sometimes symptoms don't occur for more than a month. The fevers and other symptoms usually last for 36 to 48 hours. Then the patient will be overcome with the sweats. In many cases, especially before anti-malarial drugs, patients would seem to recover just to be overcome again in the next few months. Malaria is still a real threat today in developing countries. More than 409,000 people died in 2019 from it. The main form of preventing the malady is controlling mosquito populations and preventing bites in the first place. Up next to bat, we've got camp fever, jail fever, ship's fever, spotted fever, or the Irish fever, aka typhus. There are four types of the bacterial disease. Epidemic typhus, spread by lice, marine typhus, like the bubonic plague, is spread from fleas that were feeding on infected rats, scrub typhus, spread by mites, and lastly, spotted fever, spread by ticks, and is only loosely related to typhus, mainly because of the rash and a few other symptoms. Epidemic typhus being the most common, though it is rare in modern times. Epidemics would break out wherever there were overcrowding, hence the names like gel fever, camp fever, ship's fever, etc. The term the Irish disease came from the potato famine in the 1840s, when extremely malnutured Irish fled to England and carried with them the lice that passed along epidemic typhus. 
It was also common in wartime and infected many troops. Symptoms usually occur between 17 and 14 days after exposure and include headache, fever, and rash. The rash starts on the trunk of the body and spreads outwards to the legs and arms. In more serious cases, swelling of the membrane around the brain, known as the meninges, can occur, along with photophobia, a super hypersensitivity to light, delirium, possibly coma and death if left untreated. Today, antibiotics can cure many of the cases depending on what type of typhus one has. There are no commercially available vaccines to prevent the disease, but with it being so rare these days and so highly treatable, why would the drug companies waste time on that kind of vaccine? And lastly, here are a couple of, of random ones for y'all. The Viper's Dance, St. Vita's Dance, or the Sydenham Korea, or Choria? Not sure on how to pronounce that, and no, I didn't Google it. Sorry. It's caused by the aftermath of a streptococcal infection and affects the nervous system, causing involuntary movements in the limbs that make people look like they were dancing. In more severe cases, one might lose the ability to swallow or speak. Another one that grabbed my attention was winter fever, also known as pneumonia. And this last one, this one gets me all dropsy. Now, this one I have read in many a historical novel, and until I looked it up, I always thought it had to be a neurological disorder, right? I mean, dropsy, meaning you drop things. Something to do with the nerves in your hands, making you unable to grasp objects. Oh, no, that's not it at all. It's edema, swelling in the extremities caused by heart or kidney failure. No clue as to why they named it that. Dropsy. Side notes, here's a bit of Jeopardy brain for y'all. Something that I read or heard years ago, and it's stuck in my brain like many random facts. Sickle cell anemia, which is only found in those who are African or of African descent, prevents the sufferer from becoming ill from malaria. It's a genetic mutation found in populations of people where malaria is the most prevalent. Not to say it's a blessing because sickle cell comes with its own brain of lifelong suffering, namely liver and kidney issues. But yay for no malaria, I guess. On to recommendations. What will it be this week? I just rewatched season three of Stranger Things and I'm looking forward to the last season coming end of May. What else? Better Call Saul is back this week in its final season, and the final season of Dairy Girls just started over in the UK. Can't wait for it to be available here in the States. If you were a teen in the 90s and love comedy, I cannot recommend Dairy Girls enough. It's available on Netflix. And I guess that's about it for this episode. Hope you didn't get too grossed out. I'd love to hear what y'all think, so leave us a review on Apple and Spotify and anywhere else you can, but only if you liked what you heard. The t-shirt contest is still on its way. I'll be announcing how to win your very own Lore of the South t-shirt next episode. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook. I always post pics to go along with each episode. Though this episode may be kind of gross or graphic even. 
If you want to get in touch, you can email the show at lorethesouth at gmail.com. And with that, I will talk to y'all later on Lore of the South.